Another TV show I've really enjoyed this year is The Wheel of Time on Amazon Prime. And it's a adaptation from the classic fantasy series, which was originally started by Robert Jordan, but finished off by Brandon Sanderson. And Brandon was also a producer on the TV show. And he had a very interesting deal in his contract where he was allowed to say anything that he wants about his thoughts on the tv show and the adaptation so here he is on a podcast talking about what it's like to adapt a epic fantasy series book to screen hey so i'm curious yeah i want to get back to some of the adaptation questions yeah because i don't remember the books Mm -hmm. in the series so far yeah my favorite character by a mile is nanave okay she mm-hmm. is so much fun to watch. She is incredibly entertaining and... One of my favorites also. Yeah. How true is she to the books? She is extraordinarily true to the books. She okay. would say is... So here's the thing. I think all of the characters in soul and personality are very true to the books. That's the thing okay. that Rafe has accomplished. Most of the scenes are different from the books, but they convey the same people with one major change. Their world is darker and their lives are harder. Okay. That's the biggest change. This is the influence of the grimdark movement. I wouldn't call Wheel of Time grimdark, but this is, you know, everyone's older. You can be meaner to them because of that. Yeah. So let's go ahead and say we're going to give some spoilers. We're going to delve into a little more spoiler. Definitely. Still, I mean, it's the early episode, so it doesn't spoil that much. But mm-hmm. for instance, in the books, Matt Cawthon's dad is one of these delightful characters. He's kind of like Matt. He's a little bit of a wisecracker, but you see that he's the seasoned wisecracking guy who understands responsibility. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that would be one of the first people, if you could take someone on a quest, I'd pick Matt's dad. Because he would keep you entertained, but he's not going to be irresponsible. It's like you get the sense he was really irresponsible when he was younger, and now he's learned how to be a responsible individual. In the movie, he is a lecherous womanizer who beats his family. Yeah. This is one of the ones that the fans are up in arms on, and I actually warned Rafe about this. I'm like, come on. You don't have to do this to Abel Coffin, do you? He is the delight throughout the books. He has very bit parts, but when he shows up, you have a good time. Oh, so you see him again? Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah. Okay. Wheel of Time is very much, there are very few characters that don't show up later on. People you meet just Ah. in a, this is just one of the things Robert Jordan loved to do. Mm -hmm. People you hang out with for a scene come back later on. Probably not something that they're going to be able to do as much in a television show, but yeah. But even so, that does help explain, Mm -hmm. like if they're leaving that option open, Yeah, that helps explain episode one, which spent so much time on all these people in the village. And the Mm -hmm. whole time I was thinking, this is the one part of the book I remember, they're going to leave this village so soon. I don't need to know any of these people, but if they come back... Yeah. Maybe I do. Yeah. So not to give too many spoilers, but all those people are relevant characters. And many of them that you were talking appear in my books. And oh, I got to write them. That is so banana. So, yeah. By the way, yeah. for the audience who's out there, you know, because I know that there are hardcore <laughs> Wheel of Time fans who are incensed mm-hmm. that you are having this conversation with the absolute chucklehead here who doesn't know the series. When Brandon signed for me my copy of The Gathering Storm. Mm-hmm. He wrote, for Dan, who will never read this book. It is and a, it's a long it. journey. But regardless, you're experiencing now. This is part yeah. of why we love having adaptations. Exactly. Um, so everything's darker. Which I suspect is 
more so than a grimdark thing. It's mm -hmm. a Game of Thrones TV show. Thing. Yeah, that's what I mean. Game of Thrones yeah. TV show is which is kind of a grimdark, a grimdark thing. thing. And like you know, Egwene getting pushed off the cliff at the beginning. This is less grimdark and more. We need dynamic, interesting visual scenes to film. Mm -hmm. She's gonna get pushed off a cliff into a river. I wrote it to Rafe. I'm like. Why? <laughs> why? Why are we pushing women off of cliffs as uh, part of their womanhood ceremony? Why? Because it looks good on camera. It looks good on camera. And he didn't actually say that. It's just like, well, you know, yeah. there's some things we need to adapt and things like that. And this felt like a good dramatic scene for our actors to do. And, you know, but yeah, that sort of stuff. And so, you know, Nynaeve, her life is a little darker, but mostly she's one of the ones in the books that it had been awful for already. Mm. And so it doesn't change. Like, you know, the big change in episode one is spoilers. Episode spoilers one. Spoilers for episode um, one. Perrin killing his wife. Perrin yeah. does not have a wife in the books, right? At this point in mm -hmm. the series. And so he kills his wife. It replaces a scene later in the first book where he kills some white cloaks with a bit of berserker rage. And it's a very controversial Which is change. what you were talking about with trying to capture the yeah. spirit of it, yeah. even if not the actual right. it's not scene by scene. Like This is the one change. So there are a lot of things I suggested, and I'm shocked they actually did. This is my okay. the most surreal part about all this is that I made a bunch of suggestions and Rafe listened to me. Because my experience, I don't know if your experience is this in Hollywood is, my experience is <laughs> I make a bunch of suggestions, they pat me on the head and ignore me, right? For the most part, that's what happened with me as well. Yeah. You know, it's kind of this, you don't know filmmaking, you don't mm -hmm. know the things we're doing, we've got our vision, yeah. pat you on the head. And I can understand that to an extent. Well, and one thing that I can look backwards on, mm -hmm. now having seen the final product and yeah. understanding script writing much better than I did mm -hmm. eight years ago, all the things where they ignored me, they were right to ignore me. Mm. And the places where they took my advice, they were right to take my advice. Interesting. So the biggest change, other than, I guess I should get back to my story. I read the first two episodes mm -hmm. and I sat there for a while and I had to shift my view from this is going to be a one-to-one -one adaptation to this is more like The Shining. Mm -hmm. I don't go that far. I think it is more like the Lord of the Rings adaptations. I think Peter Jackson maybe was a smidge on this side more. I'm mm -hmm. gesturing toward the side of the straight up adaptation versus the soul of it, but he's yeah. in the middle. He's like right down the center. And I think Wheel of Time is more like that than it is like- More of a recreation than it is a reimagining. Well, I think it's on the reimagining side, but okay. it's really close really to close Lord of the, the Rings line. and not really close to The Shining. If you imagine 50-50 between these two, okay. it's close to the 50-50 line, just over the line into reimagining. Mm -hmm. But that took me a while. And I sat there with those scripts for a while and chatted with Rafe and eventually decided, you know what? I'm cool with this, right? Like some of my favorite adaptations did this. I just have to shift my brain. And Wheel of Time has this built-in mechanism for doing that. So it's my headcanon. It's called the Wheel of Time. And the mythology of the Wheel of Time is that these characters have all lived before and done this exact story before. Really? They've lived it, yeah. Um, Not just like in reincarnations, but no, in reincarnations, this same story, but the same cycled. story gets cycled through. It's not a hundred percent, but if you look in the books, there's, for instance, there are legends in our time. Mm -hmm. We think that the life we're living in America and things like this would be the first age, maybe the seventh age, uh, and they're in the third age. 
right? And so in the Wheel of Time, they have the legends of John Glenn who flew to the moon in the belly of an eagle. They find a Mercedes symbol. They mm-hmm. talk about all these myths of America and Russia. There's even a thing about Dear Abby. Like the idea is that these things have been gone so long. We're so far past these that they've become legend, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But we have in our time, the stories of Merlin, who is Tom Merlin, Nynaeve, who's Nineveh, Moiraine, who is M- Morgan Le Fay. Morgan Le Fay. We're going to go to the Stone of Tear, which has the sword in the stone. We have Arthur Pendragon. Like we have the whole Arthurian lore, which we have during our age has become myth. The mm-hmm. stories of all of Randalthor and Perrin, who's based off of Perun, the Slavic god, mm-hmm. the names of all of them and things like that. So the whole idea is they lived the whole thing through. And then we have legends of them. Then they have legends of us by the time it gets back to them. And they don't live it one-to-one, but the same story happens with the same souls. So as this thing is endlessly Mm -hmm. cycling around, this isn't a retelling of the books you read. This is a retelling of one of the other cycles that is the same story as the books you read. That is my headcanon. Rafe, I don't think is allowed to call it his headcanon in public, (laughs) but that is like, and I even said to him the first time we did a call on the the scripts, I said, this is my headcanon because the books have this built-in mechanism and that frees me and liberates me to just let you make the show you want to make and I'm going to try to help you make the best version of it that you're trying to make. Yeah. Which allows me, even on things like I didn't like Perrin's wife being mm-hmm. killed. I understood why he put that scene there. I mm-hmm. think it's actually a good scene. I think Perrin berserking during the Trollic attack and killing somebody on accident or wounding someone is a really important scene, particularly if you're going to cut the white cloaks thing that he just doesn't have time for. Yeah. It really establishes him straight out the gate, establishes his main conflict. Parents' mm-hmm. main conflict is creator destroyer through the books. And he's got this thing inside of him. He's scared to let it out. And I thought it was good, but I recommended don't make it a wife because the trauma of killing someone that close to you is going to make it hard for me to accept that he can even function going forward. And I just recommended it be his master blacksmith and that he wound them. Because once you've killed someone, then there's a line you've already crossed that a lot of through the book's parents' story is, will he cross this line or not? Mm -hmm. But he does kill those white cloaks in the first book with the berserker rage and things like that. So, But it lets me even accept this is the most controversial change to me. And I'm totally cool with it. I wouldn't have done it, mm-hmm. but I can be like, you know what? In this version of the turning of the wheel, this is just what happened to poor Perrin. He's got a <laughs> much rougher time of it. He's just got to um, deal with it. He's just got to deal with it. And I really liked how they filmed that scene. So. Yeah. The scene was cool. Mm-hmm. I did say earlier, uh, four episodes in, Perrin doesn't really have a character yet for me. His personality is mostly just, I'm so sad that I killed that girl I liked. So Perrin's really hard because in the books, Perrin's whole thing is, I am a big, strong dude. If I'm not really careful, I will hurt somebody. Mm -hmm. And so I have learned my entire life to think things through, and I generally just don't say my mind. So he is the big, strong, silent guy, but you're in his perspective for a good chunk of the books. And so you see it. He even Mm. learns, I won't say what they're going to do with this in the show, but he gets the power to smell people's emotions. 
Ooh. in the books. Cool. Which is all internal. And so he can read people's emotions and mm -hmm. tell you what people are thinking. It's really convenient for Perrin to be in his viewpoint <laughs> when you're writing him to be like, oh yeah, he could tell this person was simmering angry even though they weren't showing it. It's really dynamic for writing a novel. Mm -hmm. In a visual medium, him being able to smell people's emotions doesn't help you tell his story at all. Yeah, well, especially if he is so closed off. Yes. If he's not the kind who's going to immediately capitalize yeah. on that information, mm -hmm. then there's nothing to show. Yeah. And I mean, Perrin, I do want to say he does talk in the books. We're going to be able to think like he doesn't stay quiet all the time. I mm -hmm. mean, but he is the quiet, silent type. Yeah. And characterizing that, he needs people to play off of to make him really work. And in the books, Egwene Perrin is the way that that happens. She pulls him out of his shell as they are isolated together from yeah. the rest of the group. And they meet with the Tuatha on and things like that. Like this is where Perrin starts to actually blossom. Before starts that, he was just up. the big quiet guy who followed everyone around. And that's some behind the scenes on The Wheel of Time. Right now, I think they've just released episode seven and there's been a couple of weak episodes, but episode seven has been remarkably strong. Everyone's talking about the cold open. Go check it out.